I met a man the other day at a gas station and we struck up a conversation. It wasn't long before we exchanged information about the church we attended. I told the man that I minister the gospel to and I attend the Church of Christ in Decab. The Church of Christ, the gentleman asked, is that the church that believes they're the only ones going to heaven? I could almost see the smirk on his face, but I wasn't sure. Best case scenario is that the man did not fully understand the nature and the concept of the Church of Christ. And the worst case scenario is that he did, but he chose not to believe in it and he decided instead to mock it. Let me turn the question around to you for a moment. Have you ever heard anyone ask the question, must I be a member of the Church of Christ to be saved? Do I have to attend worship and fellowship with the Church of Christ in order to take part in the great salvation that Jesus died for and that ultimately awaits mankind? We understand that the church is not what saves, but it is where the saved are gathered and where the saved continue to gather. If I choose not to participate in the fellowship where God has put me, where God has gathered me together, it should be quite obvious to all of us that that kind of a response would be very displeasing to the God who ordered such things to be in such a way. But again, the question is, must I fellowship with that religious body of believers who wear the name Church of Christ in order ultimately to honor God in my endeavor, to please Him, to worship Him, to fellowship with Him? Or is there not a wider and more diverse array of churches to choose from that would be equally pleasing to him. Don't all churches really represent God's church ultimately? Why would churches of Christ even say you must attend only the church of Christ to be saved? Is that even what they really teach? Well, I want us to consider three things that might help you, help all of us answer the question in a way that doesn't compromise biblical truths, but at the same time, does not fail to give attention to the varying spiritual levels of understanding when this question is being asked. A question that many times can be misinterpreted and misunderstood if the answer is just given bluntly, so to speak. So first in response to the question, must I be a member of the Church of Christ to be saved? My first response to that is, we must define our terms. Here's what a lot of people mean when they say Church of Christ. When they say Church of Christ, what they really mean is a denomination. That is one of tens of hundreds of religious church bodies all subscribing to various uh, names and creeds and doctrines. Brandon DeBert with Christianity.com defines Churches of Christ as one of the various denominations to evolve out of the American Restoration Movement. Maybe you've heard that before. The Encyclopedia Britannica, now published exclusively across the World Wide Web, is very easily accessible, 
defines the Church of Christ as one of several conservative Protestant churches. And so that is to say that Churches of Christ are yet again among the many denominations that have ultimately developed since the time of Martin Luther and beyond. And so with this definition in view, when we ask the question, must I be a member of the Church of Christ to be saved? Well, what kind of interpretation do you think uh, a person will get if I were to say, for example, yes, you must be a member of the Church of Christ? Well, what many people would hear then is that, yes, you must be a member of this specific denomination to be saved. And the response to that sort of assertion would be one that, well, for many, inflames an already uh, presumptuous understanding of churches of Christ, arrogant, divisive, cultish even sometimes are words that are used to describe the church of Christ. In fact, uh, one of the popular online apologetics organizations got questions, very easy to pull up on Google, has already taken note of what they call the Church of Christ denomination and has sought to make it very clear to their readers that the claim of exclusive access to salvation in a specific denomination is a common identification of a cult. And it's not the teaching of a good biblical church. Well, in some sense, I certainly agree with that. For one specific denomination to make the claim that they have exclusive salvation to Jesus Christ, well, in many ways, that is very cultish. And that is why it's so important that we define our terms. Here's what we mean as members of the Church of Christ. When we say Church of Christ, when we say Church of Christ, we mean the church you read about in your Bible, particularly the one described by the Apostle Paul in his letter to Ephesus, a church that is neither divided, it has no schism, it has no denominations present within or without, but it is wholly unified. It is wholly belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. I want you to take notice of Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verses 22 through 23. The Bible says that he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I also want you to notice Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, as Paul goes on to give attention to various ethnicities and national rivalries that are uh, present, especially in the first century church. Paul will say that he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one. And he has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself, now listen to this, one new man from the two, and thus making peace, Scripture says. Now, again, listen to even this, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, putting to death the enmity or the hatred. And Paul goes on to say that he came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. Through him, we both, that is, 
all ethnicities, ultimately, all nationalities, we all have access by one spirit to the Father now. And then, of course, we read those famous words that read like the declaration of a newly established constitution. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is uh, of all, above all, and through all, and in you all. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. And so when you take this definition in view, take notice of how dramatically the interpretation differs when we ask the question, must I be a member of the body of Christ, the one body, to be among the saved of earth? Well, yes, yes. Must I be a member, now listen to it, the body, the church of Christ, to be among the saved of earth, yes or no? They are one and the same question. And then we would do well to add this second must do as we attempt to answer this question. Must I be a member of the church of Christ to be saved? We have to define our terms. We must. And we also must defy certain misconceptions. We have to define our terms. We have to make it certain what, and clear about what we're communicating. But we also have to be clear about what we're not communicating. We have to defy important misconceptions. It's not simply enough to just point out what the Church of Christ is. It's also important to point out what the Church of Christ is not. What others perhaps have falsely conceived already about the Church of Christ. And here is really important misconception number one. The Church of Christ is one of many different churches to choose from. It is one denomination among many. We really have to awaken the minds of those who have this, this notion, this idea of a very denominated, divided church. We have to awaken the minds of men to the undivided nature of God's church. The world has smoothed over church division with scholarly and theological lingo, words like denominationalism, church tradition, and heritage. I want you again to take notice of the great care of concern Paul demonstrates in his letter to Ephesus, calling forth the body of Christ to remain united. Again, taking note of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, now notice this, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, in a very similar context here where Paul is calling forth for this unity Paul is going to also write the church in Corinth, who is among the same body, the one church of Christ, the body of Christ. And he is going to call forth to them to also remain united. And so there Paul exhorts, he encourages, in many ways rebukes, corrects the Christians there, that they all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Listen to that. No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 
Okay, so notice there, Paul says, no divisions among you. He condemns the strife. He condemns the contention that has started among them where some of them are saying, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos or I am of Cephas or I am of Christ. That kind of language in the first century is so uh, reminiscent, isn't it, today of the kind of language we see in denominationalism and Protestantism. The body of Christ is not divided. The body of Christ does not have factions and sects within it. And anytime it does, it is strongly condemned by the scriptures and ultimately by the Holy Spirit. This division, this dislike for one another, this dividing one another by names and by uh, religious figures and, and, and men uh, is something that is strongly, strongly opposed by the apostles themselves. We are commanded to endeavor for the unity. That is, we are commanded to be zealous, to hasten, to take great pains, to remain unified. We are to be in one solid monolithic state of being as the church body. The body of Christ is commanded to put away all divisions and speak the same thing together. Preference for certain biblical creeds, especially man-made creeds, are no basis for church division and separation. And, and so we need to defy this misconception about the nature of the church. It is not denom denominated, it is not divided. Uh, we need to rid ourselves of this scholarly uh, theological language, ultimately, uh, that tries to smooth over and approve these things through heritage or tradition. No, no, no. We need to be unified. We need to be one. God does not condone or approve division in any manner. Here's another misconception oftentimes uh, when people think about the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ started during the American Restoration Movement. No, the Church of Christ is since 33 AD. Again, I want you to take note of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, where Scripture says there is one body. Very clear language, is, there, is it not? There is one body. That body, that church, the body of Christ, the Church of Christ, was present in the first century, and it has been present ever since, undivided again, undenominated, without various strains of church traditions and, and heritage uh, where men prefer one belief, one doctrine, one preference over another uh, to emphasize and gather according uh, to that belief. Jesus said, I will build my church. In the singular, I will build my church, one church. And he says the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Nothing will stop it, and I believe Nothing will ever continue to stop it. That seed of the kingdom is incorruptible. And so the Church of Christ is that body that has continued ever since. The Church of Christ has not pedigreed since that time into an ancestry of denominational heritage 
where one can trace back and date his church's beginning at some other time other than 33 AD. Now, while it may be true that the American Restoration Movement really did help restore the visibility of the first century church that was once enjoyed widely and at one time was the only that could be attended and again, spiritually is, continues to be the only that can be attended. But the American Restoration Movement certainly did help bring more visibility to the Christian church here in the States. But it never established or even reestablished what was promised by Jesus to endure even the very entrance, the place of death itself. And here's a third misconception we need to defy very clearly and make known with clarity what the Church of Christ is not. The Church of Christ is not a church building with a sign that reads Church of Christ. <laughs> Paul says of this church, the body of Christ, the Church of Christ in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, that it was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and whom he says to the church there in Ephesus, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So underline it, capitalize it, add some highlighter to it, notice in the Spirit, being built together in the Spirit. This is the true nature of the church. This is the dimension in which the church foundationally and primarily operates. It operates, it grows, it continues and endures in the Spirit, not in church buildings with signs. And so that's why Jesus says that the church does not come with observation, Luke's chapter 17 and verse 20. That's why the Apostle Paul reminds that young preacher by the name of Timothy that the foundation of the church stands even when others profess it falsely in his name, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. That's why the Apostle Peter plainly calls the church a spiritual house where Christians as living stones are being built up to offer sacrifices to God as the living, breathing church building itself. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 through 5. You know, I remember an old preacher who once used to say, Daniel, I wish I could get one of those digital signs outside the church building. That way, one Sunday, the sign would read Church of Christ. And then the next Sunday, the sign would read Bride of Christ. And then the next Sunday, the church might read Jesus' church meets here. So on and so forth. Christians meet here. You know, it will be interesting to see how well the name Church of Christ continues to serve the Lord's body in the years to come. We are seeing uh, within the Lord's Church today many who wear the name Church of Christ, but when you go to the building, when you assemble together with the people, uh, unfortunately, many do not worship according to the Lord's way and do not live by the spirit of the Lord's way. Nevertheless, this, the name Church of Christ has continued to serve us and perhaps will continue to serve us well as 
that name by which we network together globally and regionally and we promote ourselves locally. But what is important to remember is that the church has never required that its existence, past, present, or future, depends upon a building with a sign out in front of it that reads, Church of Christ. Ultimately, the point is this. Our identity as the Church of Christ is ultimately found in the Bible. If someone is looking for the Church of Christ, the Church, the body of Christ, of Jesus Christ, we're still encouraging them today not to look at some sign uh, that stands outside the building or even some beautiful website that promotes itself as the Church of Christ, the Church of Jesus, but to look to your Bibles and then compare for yourselves if that is the church you read about. So, as we define our terms, as we define important misconceptions, what the Church of Christ is, what the Church of Christ is not, then we might make this last noteworthy effort. In answering this question, must I be a member of the Church of Christ to be saved? We have to detour what I might say are the worst possible conclusions. And some of the worst possible conclusions people will come to as they hear the final answer to this question is that millions of souls are lost today because they didn't attend a building with the sign Church of Christ. Now I know in part I've already addressed that, but we need to understand that millions of souls today will not be lost simply because they didn't attend a building with the sign Church of Christ. Again, our letter here to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, Paul says to the church there in Ephesus, talking about uncleanness and sin, he says, You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Oh, what an important statement there. You know, if a soul is lost today, it won't be because they didn't attend a building with a sign, Church of Christ. It will be because they didn't attend to Christ. Who teaches all men, who leads all men, who draws all men into the fellowship of his body by his truth and his teachings. Lest we forget God's people were a very small portion of the populace from all that we can gather during the first century era. People at that time gathered in houses. The vast majority continued to live their lives in Judaism, Roman paganism. You know, Peter even reminded Christians too in his era about those days of Noah where only eight souls were saved. My, my point that I'm making here is that True religion has never been popular because true religion is based on truth. And truth has never always been very popular with the people. Jesus even says when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on earth? That, that's not a statement of faithlessness. It's really an acknowledgement of how people have responded to truth really since the dawn of time, even since Adam and Eve. People have not always been popular with the truth, or really we should say vice versa, the truth popular with people. If people are not saved today, 
It's because they have not acknowledged the knowledge of truth. And here's a second worst possible case conclusion some will reach. Only a presumptuous and arrogant person could ever be so narrow-minded about the salvation of a soul that so many people would be lost if they don't subscribe to this one thing, this one person, this one doctrine, this one gospel. You know, one man said it best. It is not presumptuous to teach what one believes to be the truth about the church and salvation. And it's not presumptuous or arrogant or being self-righteous when a person seeks to be saved through Jesus alone and to be added to his church alone rather than a denomination. Ultimately, we have not made the rules as followers of Christ Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul said, speaking the truth in love. And so we speak. We speak the truth. We do so in love as much as we possibly can. But the truth is in Jesus, as we read a moment ago in Ephesians 4.20. His words are the words of truth, the words of spirit, the words of life. They're not our words. They're his words. And if it makes us presumptuous to speak his words, well, then we cannot help but be presumptuous. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus came back and he taught his people 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus has a name that lives and breathes in the mouths of men these 2,000 years later and who continues to be worshipped everywhere across nations, tongues, cultures, and ethnicities. And so call him what you wish. Do with him as you wish. Do with his church and his people as you wish. But before you make your decision, be careful to consider carefully the power, the authority that stands beside his spoken word. Again, it is his words that we speak, his words alone. If he has built another church, if he has built another way, we would only ask that the scripture evidence that way and provide reason, validity to the modern concept which it has become today, something that appears to be far more compatible with a buffet or a cafeteria line, something that certainly appears to be conceived much more in the minds of man than it has been conceived in the mind of Christ. You know, again, I think about that man that I met at the gas station. I suppose that I will never meet him again, but I think I will meet plenty more like him again, as I have in the past and as I suspect I will in the future. If and when I do, I know I'll be sure, as we've discussed here in this hour, to define my terms, defy important misconceptions, and I'll do my best to detour the worst possible conclusions. Must I be a member of the Church of Christ? The answer is still and will forever and always be an unwavering and uncompromising yes. God be with you. God bless you this day and always.